Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is sponsored by Third Love. Finding a great fitting, comfortable bra can be so hard, but it doesn't have to be that way anymore. Third Love is an exciting new lingerie brand that uses real women's measurements to create better fitting bras. There's a 100% fit guarantee. Returns and exchanges are always free. And you can try Third Love's best-selling 24-7 t-shirt bra for free for 30 days. Just cover the shipping. Start your trial now at thirdlove.com slash books. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 82, and today we are talking about books released on November 22nd, 2016, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow podcast, Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello, hello. We're already so far apart again. I know. I'm wearing my purple tank top from last week, though. Yay. It's so comfortable. It is my pantsuit partner. Uh, it was such a good time oh. at Book Riot Live last week, and it went by so fast. I know. Thank you so much to everyone who came to hear us and said hi to us and gave us presents, and everyone was so great. And I wish we it could do was. that every weekend, but I know Jen I know. Northington is probably like, no, I don't. <laughs> wish we could do that. But it was oh. amazing. I know. And man, I listened back. I was coming down with a pretty gnarly cold by the day that we did our live recording. And I listened back to that episode and I am so high on Dayquil. I have like <laughs> no recollection of saying half of the things that I said, which is, I guess, good because half of them don't make any sense. Uh, oh. So if you heard that show and wondered... I actually was on drugs, uh, and Stephen Johnson's Wonderland makes a whole lot more sense than I made of it. Uh, but uh, we're, I think he did a good job. We're back in our separate offices now, and yep, we're back not in the wearing pants. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, um, we are in that time of the year where new releases are fewer and farther between. Uh, and don't send us angry emails about how you know that there are new books, because that's true. There are some, uh, but there's not always new stuff that rings our bells. So for the next couple of weeks, uh, we're going to be doing more of the whatever selections and fewer of the new releases, because there are just fewer of them that we are into, and it's our podcast. Um but that means that we also will get to take some dives into our own personal TBR lists and talk about those, which is exciting for both of us. And hopefully for you guys listening, too, uh, we'll all have some more variety. It's true. I actually, I read a book yesterday, because um, uh, you know how I have that problem where I can't stop reading a book. Uh-huh. Um, it, I was reading it in the hopes that I would be talking about it today. And oh boy, did it stink. <laughs> oh, no. So I was like, okay, now I have to find something else. Yeah, my reading parts have been so broken, as I've been yeah. talking about for a couple of weeks. And I was in the airport coming back from New York last week. And I was like, you know what, self, we're just gonna pick a book and read it. Uh, and it doesn't have to be 
fancy. It doesn't have to be a new release. There are no rules. We're just going to pick a book and read it because we have to get our parts working again. Uh, and so that is what I did. And that's going to be my first pick after you take your turn here. Um, but sometimes you just have to jumpstart yourself. And so that's what I've been doing. Yeah. And um, well, I'm going to tell you about my first book because it is fantastic. It does come out today. Woohoo! It's so good. Um, it's called Scythe by Neil Schusterman. Um, it's the first in a new series. He has written like a gazillion things. Um, I absolutely love his Unwind series, which is sort of like teenage dystopia. He won the National Book Award for Children's Literature last year with Challenger Deep. Um, and this is, like I said, the first in a new series. It's really good and also really distressing. It, like, mm. shook the marrow in my bones. It's so, like, spot on and creepy and fascinating. It's about um, the future. It's the future world. Uh, in the year 2042, the internet kind of became sentient and has taken over everything, like, all parts of the world. Um, and it's now called the Thunderhead. And it has solved all of humanity's problems. There is no more disease. There is no more war. There's no more death. Like, death does not occur naturally anymore. Um, people can actually live for, you know, hundreds of years. Um, and it's called rebooting. Like, you can reboot yourself. It's called turning a corner. And you can actually rewind your age back to as far as 25. They're working on getting it back to lower than that. But right now, like, 300 years in the future, you can get back to, like, the age of 25. So now your grandmother could be younger than you. Like, say, like you're in your 30s, your grandmother is younger than you, she has a new husband, she has a new family. Like, and some people are doing this, like, two or three times. There's just, there's no death. However, there is still a lack of space. So, they need people, they've decided, like, the only part of the world that is controlled not by the Thunderhead is um, population control. That is left in the hands of people called Scythes. Um, now, as you probably know, a scythe, it's like S-C-Y-T-H-E, it's that, like, curved blade on a long stick, that instrument that is used in farming uh, to reap crops, and the, the thing that the Grim Reaper carries around because the Grim Reaper reaps lives, and this is sort of the same idea, they're called scythes, and they are people, but they live very simple lives, um, but they are revered and feared. Um, people, you know, see them coming and they either, you know, make an excuse to get away from them or they, you know, go up and they suck up to them because they're worried that they're going to, it's called gleaning when your life is taken by a scythe. Um, they're, you know, people suck up to them because they don't want to be gleaned. And what happens is that every year, uh, five million people must be gleaned from the planet. And they go about it by looking back on mortal times and they pick people for various reasons. Like, if you are somebody who gets a lot of speeding tickets, um, a scythe might show up at your house and be like, well, back in mortal times, this many people died in car accidents because of speeding. So we're going to take your life because you are a speeder. And that was what would have naturally have happened uh, to this percentage of the population. And there's nothing that you can do about it. Um, if you try to run, if you try to fight them... They will also take the lives of everyone that you're related to. So you're kind of like stuck with their decision. But it's like a very, very, very small percentage of the population. And so there's a scythe named uh, Scythe Faraday. 
And he's going about his work, and he has occasion to encounter uh, two teenagers named Citra and Rowan at, like, two different times when he's, when he's performing his tasks. And they intrigue him, and he takes them on as his apprentices. And he says, I'm at the end of one year... Uh, you, you're going to come and learn how to be a scythe. And at the end of one year, I'm going to choose one of you to become a scythe, and the other one of you has to go back to your life. Um, and and they're, they really don't want to. They're, they're disgusted with the whole thing. But he says that, you know, they don't want people who would want to do this for a job. Like, that would be the, the mm. opposite of, like, what a scythe does. It, they're very respectful and, you know, aside from, like, the whole killing people thing. Um, so he teaches them... All the tricks he makes, you know, them make difficult decisions. He makes them come with him when he's gleaning people. Um, and it's, you know, he teaches them different techniques. It's it's so, like, dark and disturbing, but it's so smart. Um, and then he brings them to a meeting of size. Like, they have a, a meeting three times a year. And they all discuss, like, things going on within their world and stuff like that. And there is a rogue, sort of, like, not even rogue, but, like, an, a, they're not really part of the size. They're not approved of. But they are responsible for mass deaths. You know, they'll take, like, an entire airplane full of people because mm. airplane crashes used to happen. Um, it's it's so dark. And it's... They they go about, like, doing their own politics. Like, there are sides that get in trouble. Like, you're supposed to take an equal number of people from from all races. So there are some people who are, like, favoring certain races over others, and so they're reprimanded. Those sides are reprimanded. Then there's, like, a, a scythe who's very attractive, and he only takes the lives of people he finds unattractive, and he's been reprimanded several times. You know, so, like, he's in big trouble. And, you know, at this meeting, it's discovered that Scythe Faraday has taken two apprentices, which has never been done before. So they lay down some strict rules about, like, what Citra and Rowan can do. Um, and it's it's super dark what, what is going to happen. And I'm going to stop talking about it there because I'll just give <laughs> more away. But this book is, it's really, like, alarming, but awesome and fascinating how the politics work. And it really makes you think about, you know, present day, uh, right now, you know. It, he's just, he's absolutely brilliant, Neil Schusterman. Um, again, it's called Scythe, and Neil Schusterman, he's the man. I've never read him. That He's one of those authors that, like, I just am intimidated by. Like, I think I won't be able to get it. Oh, no. He's great. But, like, I read his Unwind series, and it's, like, about how if you don't behave as a kid, your parents can have you taken apart and sold for parts, <gasps> like, when you're a teenager. And I was like, well, that's pretty dark. But this... Makes that look like a trip to the circus. I'm just like, woo. (laughs) All right. Well, my first pick is considerably lighter than that, although (laughs) it's not totally light. Uh, It's Big Little Lies by Leanne Moriarty. Um, I have been hearing that she is great for years, and several of our contributors love her books. Um, And I had just never gotten around to it, but I was poking around at the LaGuardia bookstore last weekend, just like looking for, I had basically told myself I was going to buy whatever popped out at me as like, this is the thing that I want to read today. And then I was 
going to read that thing and sort of jumpstart my reading brain. And it totally worked. So I picked up Big Little Lies. Um, my quick pitch for it is that it's like if Little Children by Tom Parada had a baby with desperate housewives, but the housewives were kind of woke. And I just loved it so much. It's about three women in a um, suburb, a wealthy suburb in Sydney, Australia. Um, there's Madeline, who is like gorgeous and put together. She's the one who like her high heels and her lipstick are always perfectly coordinated. Uh, she's on her second marriage. Her ex-husband and his new younger wife, who's like super earthy and into yoga, uh, live in their town. And her younger kids, Madeline's younger children, uh, go to school with her ex-husband and his new wife's uh, young daughter as well. She has a teenage daughter from that first marriage who wants to move out of her house and move in with her dad. And so there's like domestic suburban drama happening in their house. Then there's Jane, who is much younger. She's only 24. Um, She moves to town with her son, Ziggy, who's going to start kindergarten with Madeline's kid. Um, Jane and Ziggy, uh, are it's just the two of them. Um, Ziggy was the product of a one-night stand, and as the book goes on, we learn some darker and more disturbing things about uh, about the man that Jane had that one-night stand with, who is Ziggy's father, and some secrets related to him. And then there is Celeste, um, and she is incredibly wealthy. Her husband, Perry, is like a super-powered businessman who travels all over the world, and they live this very charmed life in a huge house that overlooks the water, but their uh, marriage is very, very troubled, and he is abusive. Um, And this comes out relatively early in the book. Um, I'm shouting it out as a trigger warning as well. If you're sensitive to domestic violence in books, um, keep an eye on that you know, for yourself here. Uh, So the three of them all have kids that are going into kindergarten together. Celeste has twin boys. Uh, And the trouble starts like a few months before school starts when uh, the parents have taken the kids to the like kindergarten orientation day. And a little girl claims that uh, someone hurt her, that it was Ziggy, Jane's little boy. Um, And this keeps going on after school starts and parents get really mad. Um, Jane is convinced that it's not Ziggy hurting this other little girl. He says that it's not him, but he won't say who it is. And these other parents, as suburban parents, I guess, or want to do, start a petition to try to get the school to kick him out, even though there's no evidence that it's him. And so Jane's life is sort of in upheaval with all of this. Madeline's dealing with her teenage daughter, who is full of drama and also just regular life and marriage stuff. And Celeste is trying to untangle what's happening in her marriage and if she's finally ready to leave her abusive husband. And everybody has secrets. And through this all, we know from the very beginning of the book that something has happened on a trivia night at the school and someone died. Um, And the book moves from like six months before the trivia night, five months before the trivia night, on and on, right up until we finally find out what happens at that trivia night. who died and what the investigation is really about. So there's that sort of instead of a who done it, it's like a who died it um, running through as you're reading, waiting to figure out who's going to be the character uh, that ends up dead and how do they end up dead. It's so it's just so good. Uh, this was perfect brain candy, but to call it brain candy, I think makes it sound less substantial than it is. The writing is really excellent um, and very feminist uh, in in a way that I hadn't encountered in a thriller like this. Like we've been talking about uh, for a while, how there are all these books in which like terrible things happen to girls and women. Uh, and often those are the books that have like girl in the title lately. Um, and Leanne Moriarty has 
some difficult, horrible things happen to her characters, but they talk themselves through their responses that there's a moment where, um, where one of the characters is talking to herself about how like, no, you can't blame the victim. You can't blame uh, Jane for being a silly young girl who went back to a hotel room with a charming young man. It's not her fault that that encounter takes the turn that it takes when it turns out that the man that she's with is terrible uh, to her that night. It's not her fault. She is the victim. You can't call someone a silly young girl for making a choice that a woman is entitled to make. Um, we see Celeste go to a domestic violence counselor at one point and start to take apart uh, the lies and the cycle that she has been in. And so the book itself feels light. It's not a heavy read, but these are certainly heavy, big issues. And Moriarty uh, takes them on, I think, with uh, with a lot of skill. Um, and it's not easy to like explore domestic violence and major secrets and possibly like date rape in a story that is also just like a page turnery uh, kind of situation. And that's exactly what this is. It was exactly the thing that I needed to get me out of my reading funk. Uh, and so again, it's Big Little Lies by Leanne Moriarty. I need to read that. Yes, you do. I think I'm going to pick up a bunch of uh, her other ones and read them while we're in our uh, whatever time here at the end of the year. So you're going to tell we... us about our first sponsor. I am. But uh, I thought it was going to be an Alice Clayton book oh. when I clicked on the title. I was surprised to no. learn it is not. It is not. Our first sponsor this week is Balls. It takes some to get some. This is a memoir written by Chris Edwards, and it documents his transition from female to male back in the 90s. Uh, And back at that point, uh, going through gender reassignment surgery or now gender confirmation surgery uh, really took balls. If you're going to do it in front of 500 coworkers at one of the top ad agencies in the country, you better have a pretty big set. Uh, At a time when the term transgender didn't really exist, Chris Edwards endured 28 surgeries to become the man he always knew he was meant to be. Uh, He's a pioneer who changed the perception of an entire community, and this memoir will touch your heart and open your mind. Uh, so again, this is from back in the 90s. Chris Edwards began his transition in 1995. He was working at Arnold Worldwide, which is a large ad agency in Boston, at a time when transgender resources and cultural understanding were virtually non-existent. Um, throughout his transition, he used what he was learning working in advertising to functionally rebrand himself to his friends, his family, and his colleagues. Um, in being open and honest with his experience in balls, he hopes to change perceptions by creating creating a better understanding of what it's like to be trans, as well as serve as a resource and an everyday success story to other people who might be experiencing gender dysphoria. And he also hopes to show that being transgender doesn't have to define you forever unless you want it to. Um, in addition to, cher- to sharing stories from his journey, the book delves deeply into his gender affirmation surgery. Again, he underwent 28 surgeries total and is one of the few uh, transgender men in the country who've elected to undergo the most complex version version of a surgery called phalloplasty, which required 22 procedures over the course of five years. Uh, This is a sensitive and highly personal topic in the transgender community, and Chris Edwards was compelled to share his experience in an effort to dispel misconceptions and misunderstandings so that the dialogue can shift towards bigger issues affecting the trans community at large, like discrimination and violence against trans women of color. Uh, So again, the book is called Balls, It Takes Some to Get Some by Chris Edwards. It is out now. You can get it wherever books are sold, or we'll have a link to it in the show notes. I have no segue. (laughs) No, there's not one. (laughs) There's not. There's not. Um, but I do have a twofer here. Um, these books both come out today. 
And I have not read both of them all the way through, but I have read parts of each of them. Um, and they are about the same thing, which I'm about to explain. Uh, the first is called Victoria the Queen, an intimate biography of the woman who ruled an empire by Julia Baird. And the second is called Victoria by Daisy Goodwin. It's a novel, and it is the uh, there's a PBS masterpiece presentation that is based on this novel. Then um, she wrote the novel based on Victoria's personal diaries. So both of these books are out today. They are about Queen Victoria. Um, she is the reason that we have the Victorian era. It was named after her. She was born in 1819, and when she was born, she was fifth in line for the throne. And she, she got it. She became a teenage queen uh, when, she was, when she was young. Um, and she relied heavily on the counsel of her prime minister, which was looked down upon by, by her family and by a lot of the people around her. But her prime minister, um, oh my goodness, I'm blanking on his name, uh, Lord Melbourne, there we go. Um, her prime minister was like her right-hand man. He, he um, helped her with everything from like giant decisions to how she should shape her eyebrows. I mean, it was just like he gave her advice on everything. Um, and and she she was amazing. She was less than five feet tall, but she wielded she wielded her authority like no one else. They say because they weren't sure like how she was going to do as the queen. Um, and apparently, she kicked some butt as queen. Uh, the novel, like I said, is based on the diaries, and it covers the first few years of her, of her life as the queen. Um, and it sort of revolves around her and Lord Melbourne and Prince Albert, who she ended up marrying. She married him at age 20, and she had nine children. Oh, like, boy. Holy cats. Uh, and she ruled for 63 years. And the biography is sort of a broader look at her life. It, you know, spans her entire life. Um, is is wonderfully researched. Um, Swapna was just raving, raving, raving about it the other day. So I was like, well, I have to read this. And then I was like, well, and I just read some of the other one, too, to see how it is. And they're both really entertaining. She was such a fascinating woman. Um, so if you're into, you know, royalty and learning all about the history of the royals, this is, this is a great, you know, I, um, both of these are great places to check out. Um, I'm losing all my words. <laughs> both of these are great books to check out. Again, it, one is called Victoria the Queen, an intimate biography of the woman who ruled an empire by Julia Baird. And the other is Victoria by Daisy Goodwin. All right. My next pick has nothing to do with that, so we'll just keep having not <laughs> not segues today. Uh, it's The Clothing of Books by Jhumpa Lahiri, uh, the novelist and short story writer. And this book came out last week. I missed it uh, when we were doing Book Riot Live preparation. And it's it kind of has snuck out. Like, yeah, I feel like they hid it. Like, it didn't yeah. get a lot, of, a lot of press. I didn't see any press about it. I didn't get any, like, publisher notices about it. I just came across it when I was looking through catalogs. And I'm deeply confused about why there wasn't some noise about this book. It's a tiny little book. And it is about uh, book jackets and book covers. And this is Jhumpa Lahiri reflecting on the art of book jackets, what book covers and book jackets mean to readers and to writers. Uh, and she is both. Uh, it's about the relationship between text and image. Uh, if you liked What We See When We Read by Peter Mendelssohn a couple years ago, this is very different from that, but also in the same vein uh, about what visual things have to do with the way that we interact with 
the print, the written word uh, and the the text of a story. Um, how what we see in a book's jacket and what it feels like to hold it in our hands and how we can picture that cover of that book uh, when we're reading informs the reading experience or or comes to signify something about it too. Uh, and she talks about what book covers convey to us as readers, what they're intended to convey. Um, she explores it in some parts as like the book's jacket is kind of its uniform. Uh, she writes about going to school as a kid and having uniforms and uh, what that allowed her, how it allowed her to feel free in other forms of expression, sort of ties actual clothing back to book jackets as the clothing of books. It's just a lovely little book. I think it's a perfect gift for any book lover, especially because it just sort of snuck out. So like all the people that you're buying bookish Christmas gifts for this year, um, don't know that it's out and probably haven't read it. So, and I, I think it's like seven ninety five. It's very small, uh, so you can pick up a jillion of them and put them in stockings and wrap them up for Hanukkah and whatever holiday you're celebrating, or just because you want to give a gift to a person who loves books. Um, I think it's a great addition, like to your coffee table or your books about books shelf, um, and it'll take you no time to read at all. But Jhumpa Lahiri is just so wonderful and interesting, and I was like, ah, oh, she's writing a book about books, um, and it's not quite that. I would still like to read Jhumpa Lahiri's reading memoir. Uh, but this is a really interesting meditation on book covers. And uh, for people who love the book as an object, I think you'll find it really interesting. So again, it's called The Clothing of Books by Jhumpa Lahiri. It's very, very small. It's the so Queen small. Victoria of books. <laughs> so tiny. It is. It's like very petite um, yeah. and but wonderful. Yeah, I, it, I feel like it got no... Advertising. None at all. Yeah, I didn't know about it until you mentioned that you were going to try and read it. And I yeah. was like, where did that come from? Yeah, it just, it, like, it just snuck out. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, who knows why, uh, but I think it's really great. Um, my next book that I'm going to talk about is one of my favorite novels of all time. I never need an excuse to talk about it, but I think it's important right now because, one, it is being made into a movie... It is The Miseducation of Cameron Post by Emily Danforth. Um, and like I said, it's, it, they just announced that it's being made into a movie, which is exciting. And also, um, it is about uh, the horrible, not real thing called conversion therapy, which has been in the news a lot lately, um, which is just an awful thing to do to anyone. Uh, it's about a young girl named Cameron. She lives in rural Man Montana. And when she's um, young, her parents are killed in a car accident. And she feels guilty because she's a little relieved by this news because it means that she's not going to have to tell her parents that she has feelings towards girls. So she is sent to live with her grandmother and her ultra-conservative aunt um, after her parents die. And she grows up in their household and she falls in love with her best friend. And they have a relationship um, but sadly, she is outed in, like, the most horrible way, and her aunt sends her to a religious conversion camp to cure her, quotation mm. marks, mm -hmm. of her homosexuality. Um, it's really sad and heartbreaking, but the book is so smart and funny as well. Um, and she goes to this camp, and she has to, like, you know... Go, she and all these other kids are just sort of like pretending to be cured, you know, while actually learning all about themselves and, you know, other people who are like them. Um, so it's almost like a good thing on top of a bad thing, you know, like she gets to meet other kids like herself. Um, it's, it's so fantastic. I read this book. It felt like 
it was happening in real time. I don't know if that makes any sense. But it felt like it was, like, really happening, like, while I was reading. Like, this is a real thing. And I'm not entirely certain, but I think I read in an interview that a lot of this is based on um, experiences that Emily Danforth herself had. Um, It's so beautiful and smart and interesting. And it's just, it's amazing. Again, it's called The Miseducation of Cameron Post by Emily Danforth. I second that emotion. I read that one a couple years ago and really loved it. Oh, my goodness. I'm so excited about the movie. It'll be great. I can't remember who's in it now. Chloe Grace. Chloe Grace. Chloe Grace Moritz. Yes. Yes, that'll be great. Um, I have uh, no segue. <laughs> Again, I am segue Keep with the theme. I'm exhausted from travel. I have no segues. I left them all. So I'm going to tell you about our next sponsor, and it is Madison Reed. Madison Reed is back. Madison Reed started with a simple mission to make luxurious at-home hair color with ingredients you can feel good about. Madison Reed is a salon-quality hair color with an authentic personal touch. And they are so passionate about you loving your color that you can talk to expert colorists who will support you every step of the way. They bring prestige, the prestige pampered salon experience to the time-saving, money-saving convenience of your home so you can experience shiny, beautiful, natural-looking hair color. It's made with ingredients that you can feel good about. Madison Reed is the first ever six-free permanent hair color, free of ammonia, parabens, resorcinol, PPD, phthalates, and gluten. Uh, It's crafted in Italy, just outside of Milan, and their luxurious hair color is infused with nutrient-rich keratin, argan oil, and ginseng root extract to protect and pamper your hair. Madison Reed delivers salon-quality color to the convenience of your home, and you can choose from over 40 luxurious shades for every skin tone and hair texture. It has 100% gray coverage, and with the support of Madison Reed's expert colorists, you can Learn everything that you need to know and color with confidence. You'll experience beautiful, healthy-looking hair color. And like I said, there's over 40 shades to choose from. And there's an online color quiz that guarantees 100% shade match. So you can find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com. You try it. If you love it, your satisfaction and happiness are guaranteed by Madison Reed. So find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com and get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit with the code ALLTHEBOOKS. All right. Rolling on, I have a paperback release this week. I'm pretty sure I talked about this last week or last year when it came out in hardcover. I love this book. Everybody who loves food and food writing, I think, should have it. It's called Eating Words. It's a Norton anthology of food writing. And in true Norton tradition, it begins like way back. Uh, so it starts with excerpts from the Old Testament about food uh, and about some of the taboos around food and different kinds of things that you could and couldn't mix things that you could and couldn't eat uh, because they were unclean. And it runs all the way up through contemporary, like today, uh, through modern food writers and looks at not only the changing role of food and culture, but also the the unchanging roles of food and culture and the ways that we connect, um, how food plays a role in religious ceremonies, in family celebrations, all sorts of stuff, uh, but also how the way that we talk about food has changed, um, that the food essay is a thing now, uh, and that like travel food writing is a thing. And that has not always been the case, and so the evolution of those is fascinating. It's a big book. It was very heavy in hardcover. uh, So paperback might be a little bit easier to tote around. This is another one that I think goes on the the gift list for people who are hard to shop for. Um, Someone who loves food and food writing will find so many things. You can dip in and out of this at 
at basically any pace and find something that will be interesting. Or if you really wanted to sit down and just take the full scope, you could start at the beginning and read the whole thing, uh, but it would take you quite a while. Um, I thought it was really great. I love a Norton anthology. They're just so well-researched. This one is edited by Sandra Gilbert and Robert uh, Roger Porter, and Ruth Reichel wrote the foreword to it. Uh, so you know some interesting and varied voices there. Again, it's called Eating Words. Uh, it's the Norton anthology of food writing. It is out in paper paperback this week and it is super cool awesome yep it's time for the ching the shopping list shopping list tell I, me what you're gonna yeah. get i am um, well so our friends are opening a bookstore in portland mm-hmm. maine it's called print bookstore and i went last week to i said i was helping them put books on the shelves but really i was just looking at all the stuff that i want to buy um when they open and so I have a list in mind now, like for when I go to visit next week when they're when they're actually open. On the top of my list is a book that is out today. It's called The Princess Diarist by Carrie Fisher. It is her memoir about the first Star Wars movie, like her memories and the gossip and all the stuff that went on um, during the making of the first Star Wars movie. Apparently the sparks between her and Harrison Ford were not just on screen. Mm. I saw a little thing the other day where she, like, fesses up, like, yeah, they got a little hot and heavy. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to reading that. Um, I've started this uh, Ruth Galloway series by Ellie Griffiths, and I need the third book in that one. It's called The House at Sea's End. I went got to go to the Mysterious Bookshop in New York City last week, and I bought the second one, which, of course, was at the very, very, very top of the shelves. I don't know if you've ever been in there or seen pictures, but the shelves are, like, 20 feet high. So, of course, I was like, could you climb that ladder all the way to the top there? Get that for me, please. Um, I need to get The Infinite by Nicholas Maynary. It came out last week. It's being compared to Cormac McCarthy and Dennis Johnson, two of my favorites. Um, I would like The Book of Unknown Americans, which you discussed last week Mm -hmm. during the podcast by Christina Henriquez. Um, Sounds fantastic, so I need that definitely. The fourth Chronicles of St. Mary's book is out, if you've been reading those. Um, the fourth one's called A Trail Through Time, about time travelers who work for St. Mary's Institute of Historical Research. It's a really fun, like, madcap British series. Um, the Sun is Also a Star by Nicola Yoon. I did not get a chance to read that before it came out, and everyone is raving about it. And then another Melina Marchetta, which, as I raved about a couple weeks ago, I just absolutely love her now. Um, the one I really need next is Saving Francesca. So that's what I'm looking forward to buying when I descend upon print in Portland <laughs> next week. Oh, I'm so jealous. I wish I could teleport or like use the flu system and oh, show up in Portland. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's, it's like the perfect location. The story is amazing. Congrats to Josh and Emily. Absolutely. Um, my last pick this week, uh, this is one I almost missed because I just didn't think it was going to be my kind of book, but I'm so glad I picked it up uh, on audio, actually. It's Forward by Abby Wambach. Uh, she is the well-known U.S. women's soccer player. She, uh, was in the, she's been in the news for all kinds of things. She occasionally uh, has some not awesome opinions about stuff. Uh, and she's had some DUIs. Uh, and she's a bit of a controversial figure, I think. But she started like popping up on my radar. I was telling Jeff on the Book Riot show this week, um, because I had been, you know, reading uh, Brene Brown and Glennon Doyle Melton's books. And I was seeing Abby Wambach pop up like on speaking events that they were going to. And I was like, wait, does Abby Wambach have like 
untold depths or something. And Forward is this really incredible memoir. Um, It's not a sports memoir. So if you want to read about like how a person becomes a star soccer player, this is not that book. Um, She does talk about, of course, the role that soccer plays in her life. Um, But this is like a personal growth narrative, uh, primarily about the difficulties that she had about um, growing up in a conservative Catholic family, realizing that she was gay, um, dealing with the shame and the worry that her family would reject her if they knew who she really was, um, dealing with drug and alcohol problems, basically all through college and often on throughout her professional career playing soccer, um, her marriage and how her marriage fell apart, um, and then this sort of soul searching that she did uh, in the wake of those things to try to figure out who she really was and come to a sense of her identity and a feeling of personal strength and to be in a good place again and to be able to go forward, um, to think of herself as not just a soccer player, but a leader, um, what her career after soccer would look like. Um, she reads the audiobook, and I thought it was really wonderful. Um, she's very open. She's she's made a lot of mistakes. She's had a lot of difficulties, and she just addresses those head on, and she doesn't make excuses for them. Uh, she talks about trying to understand how she got to the places uh, that she got to, both good and bad, um, and you know how you pick yourself back up and keep going forward um, after you have hurt people around you, after you've had a painful end of a relationship. Um, it's it's so thoughtful. And I just had not been paying any attention to Abby Wambach. So I found it very surprising um, in a in a great way. Um, I, I think it just came out in September. So it's relatively new, totally missed it when it was brand new. Um, but I'm glad that I didn't miss it altogether. Um, the print copy looks gorgeous, but I really, really enjoyed it on audio. So if you've been doing the audiobook thing, I think um, this is one to watch for. Again, it's called Forward by Abby Wambach. Are there... Are there memoirs that people don't read themselves in audio? Um, I would think that would be, like, really disappointing. There are. um, So-and-so will be played by. Yeah, no, I listened to... Hillary Clinton's latest memoir last mm-hmm. year. It's like 27 hours long. Um, and she does not read the whole thing. I'm pretty sure that Glorious that Gloria Steinem, Life on the Road, mm-hmm. um, I think she reads the introduction to it. And Deborah Winger reads the whole thing. Huh. Um, and last year, what was Azar Nafisi's new one? The Republic of Imagination. Mm-hmm. Um, she reads the introduction and then a different uh, reader takes over. So I've seen that happen several times, like huh. that they have the famous person or the memoirist read the beginning, or, like the prologue or the introduction, and then a narrator takes over. And I just assumed that it's like Hillary Clinton was too busy to record a 27 hour audiobook. Yeah. Um, or who knows? Like that's a, it's a different kind of skill. So who knows why? Um, but it always bums me out a little bit. Like I wanted to drive around with Gloria Steinem for 12 hours, yeah. you know, not like someone reading Gloria Steinem, but it was still good. So it does happen, but it's mu- it's so much better when the person reads it themselves, I think. All right. Okay. Those are our new books. What are you going to read now? Um, I know everyone is going to be so super jealous when I say that I'm reading a 300-page book about World of Warcraft um, <laughs> because everyone loves it so much. But I have been dipping in and out of a book called Blood Plagues and Endless Raids, 100 Million Lives in the World of Warcraft by Anthony Palumbi. Uh, it's like 300 pages about World of Warcraft, which I absolutely love. Um, I used to play World of Warcraft many years ago, and my habit was out of control, so I had to delete my account, but recently started playing it again, and 
I'm much more grown up and responsible with my time now. So I only play a few hours a week and I'm loving this book. But I am going to set it down because I just got the new Elizabeth Kostova book. Um, oh, I saw that. she sounds familiar, she wrote The Historian. Um, and her new book is called The Shadowland. And it's about a young woman who travels to Bulgaria to get over the death of her brother and accidentally winds up with a box of human ashes. Oh, boy. Apparently that's like a theme now in the books yeah. that I read. Like people ending up with remains. I don't know how this happened. Um, but I'm excited. Uh, what are you going to read? I think I'm going to read Sins of a Wicked Duke by Sophie Jordan. It's the first book from the Penwich School for Virtuous Girls series. These have been out for a few years now. Um, but I was talking to Amanda about needing brain candy. And I think I'm just going to read just a pile of romance. And she recommended this series. So I'm going to give it a shot. Nice. All right. That's our show. Thanks again to our sponsors, Third Love. Go to thirdlove.com slash books to start your free 30-day trial with the 27 t-shirt bra. Two Balls by Chris Edwards. You can look for that wherever books are sold. We'll have a link to it in the show notes. And to Madison Reed, go to madison-reed, it's R-E-E-D.com, and use the offer code all the books, all one word, to get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit. Uh, if you've got a note for us, you can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com. That is the direct line. You don't need to go like Google around for other Book Riot email addresses. All the books at bookriot.com. Or you can talk to us on Twitter. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, S C H I N S K Y. Liberty is Miss Liberty. And as always, if you have a minute, you want to give us a little holiday gift, uh, please take a moment to leave us a rating or a review on iTunes. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at www.bookriot.com slash all the books and you can also find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. All right. In the meantime, happy happy reading. reading.